America's democracy hangs in the balance. While you're tuned into politics, Greer McVay, host of the Capital G podcast, will help you make sense of the news of the day and more importantly, understand how what goes on in our nation's capital is important to you and your family. Greer shares insights and opinions in the lead up to the election, and then will help guide you through the anticipated aftermath and into the next administration. That's politics with a capital G. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Capital G Podcast. I'm your host, Career McVeigh. Today's well, today is a special episode. It's a special day. It's always a special day at Capital G. But it was supposed to be a more special day. The, the guest had an emergency and had to postpone. And then we thought we'd do it this morning, but she's still not available. Um, and she may be later on, but in the meantime, I didn't want to keep putting off some analysis of the uh, of the uh, pres- vice uh, the presidential debate several days ago. So I'm just gonna go ahead and get to it. And as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. So the show's gonna go on, and in a a matter of hours, might be a day or two, or whenever, whenever we can get her on the show, we will do that. And we'll either talk about the, the debate or we'll talk about whatever else is happening because it keeps being something, right? So anyway, um, so let's just talk a little bit. I had to move my, adjust my, adjust my camera. So um, first let's talk about the, uh, well, I want to talk about one other thing like, before we jump into the big numbers and the news and the debate. Um, we are recording this a little bit differently today. We're actually doing this on video. And while I, I will post the video, um, we'll also continue to post the audio, but we spent a few days really trying to master this whole video concept and using clips and um, clips from the debate and all of that so that the show could be a little bit more robust. And I'm really proud of it. I'm happy about it. Um, but there may be some glitches. I mean, this is just my disclaimer because it's the first time. So we're not live. We were going to do it live. We're not live for that very reason. So if it's something that's like so egregious, uh, we can maybe stuff the genie back in the bottle. But I hope that as we, at least when we have guests, I want to make sure that we do a uh, video because it really helps us use some of the technology and see the people and the interaction. So again, I'm proud about that. I'm happy we decided to do it this way. Uh, I'm just not happy that we don't have our guest this morning, but we will as soon as we can. So um, so I've got a cup of coffee. It's a big cup of coffee, but struggle is real. So what we're going to do is we're, by the time I finish drinking this cup of coffee, I'm going to try to be done. I keep saying that and I keep not quite living up to my own uh, exacting standards, but we're gonna, we're gonna try. So first let's jump into today's big numbers. I actually have to drink the coffee in order to be done with the coffee. So um, one big number is 10. 
Is it 10? That's the number of days we have remaining until the election. Or is it nine? I think it's nine. Depends on whether you count Tuesday or don't count Tuesday. So election day is Tuesday, November 3rd. Make sure you vote if you have not already voted because there's a lot of voting going on. So that's the first big number, 80,005. That's our second big number. That's the number of confirmed uh, coronavirus cases in one day. So on Friday, there was a recorded 80,005 people who were confirmed to have coronavirus in a 24-hour span of time. The reason that that number, well, the reason it's important is because it's a big number and that means that a lot of people are um, sick. People are still getting sick. But more importantly, that's higher than the previous high, which was back in July, a number of 77,000 in a 24-hour span of time. So as our president is, is out there barnstorming the country, talking about we are coming around the curve and it's over and we're doing well and we're doing great and blah, blah, blah. The reality is that we are not. The reality is that the number keeps going up. Um, the number five, that's another uh, big number today. Five is the number of people in Vice President Mike Pence's office and his close circle who have tested positive recently. And that doesn't include Stephen Miller and his wife, Katie Miller, both of, you know, Stephen Miller works, well, technically Stephen Miller works for Trump. So I'll take Stephen Miller out of that. But Katie Miller, who's Stephen Miller's wife, who had tested positive a while back, and a few other people right after they had the um, Amy Coney Barrett, I cannot say that lady's name. I can't wrap my head around it. And apparently I need to get used to it because they're going to vote tomorrow. Uh, they're likely to vote tomorrow in the full house to confirm her. Um, but that's another story. Um, for the Supreme Court. So five people, which tells me that, and the vice president is still going out today. He's not going to quarantine. Remember, he's the leader of the coronavirus task force. He's not doing what it is that they say that they need to do. You know, if people around you test positive, you need to go ahead and uh, self-quarantine and, and get yourself and make sure that you're not spreading. So he's not even following his own device, uh, his own advice. So that's five people in his office that in the last few days have tested positive. And two, two is our last big number that we're going to focus on today, which is sort of the subject of today's uh, capital G. And that's the number of debates that Trump lost. Uh, well, technically he lost three. Because the one that he backed out of, I, I think you have to get credit for having have lost that as well. You don't get credit for winning or anything if you find a way to back out of the debate. So on Thursday night, this past Thursday night, we had the final, the second, <laughs> the second. Technically, it was the third scheduled debate. It was the second one that actually happened. The one in the middle was when Trump said he couldn't participate. And then he ended up doing his own uh, town hall because Joe Biden was like, well, I'm still available. Well, I'll just do a town hall. And then Trump is like, well, no, I, you know, I'm going to do a town hall. So he did a town hall, which, by the way, Mike Pence's town hall got more um, 
uh, uh, viewers, higher ratings. So I'm sure that had to upset Trump. So he shows up for the third and final debate and yeah, that's how I feel about it. Debates are traditionally an opportunity for the candidates to talk about their uh, policy initiatives, you know, what it is that they're gonna do in the case of an incumbent, what they would do in the second term, what, how they would govern differently, how they would, uh, you know, what their, you know, what's their agenda. You have four hours or four years to do some work. So it's a chance to talk about your record, what you've done, what you've done right, what you're happy about and, and you know, what you would maybe do differently or what you're going to do additional things that you would um, tackle in the in a second term. Um, Trump claims his his accomplishments to be many. Um, he claims obviously the tax break. He talks about all the um, the uh, environmental stuff that he's gotten rid of and regulations, the deregulation that he's responsible for. Basically, he just undid everything that Obama did, uh, which generally Republicans like. So he, you know, and then of course he talks about all that he's done for the blacks. So uh, he just, you know, so he, he can talk about those things. Whether I think that those are accomplishments or not is not necessarily relevant. Plenty of people who support him, certainly people who are conservatives, support um, all of that. I'm going to turn my chair around just so that I can have a back support. But the people who support him, you know, those are things that they think are accomplishments. Lowering the taxes, especially for the wealthy, uh, it'll trickle down, they'll create jobs. And a lot of people who support Trump feel that he's done a, a great job and he did a great job with the economy right up into um, coronavirus. And then they're saying, well, you know, that's not his fault. It, you know, it came and it had nothing to do with him. Well, frankly, it had everything to do with him. It reaching our shores didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily his fault. But once it reached our shores and he didn't end it, fix it, do, do, do away with it, he didn't, and I don't want to get into all of that that he didn't do, but, no, well, not right now. I may get into it. But it was an opportunity. There were opportunities lost. So in the debate, when one would think that those are the things he talked about, it certainly was what Joe talked about. Joe said, you know, Obama and I did X, Y, and Z. I would do this differently. He uh, owned the crime bill from I don't know, 1982. You know, he's like, well, you know, it was a mistake. All 100 senators voted for it. In hindsight, it was not what we should have done. I would do this differently. I would. This is how I would handle coronavirus. This is how I'd handle uh, the environment and so forth. So it was a bit challenging when it came time for the debate. Knowing that that's normally how debates go, uh, it isn't quite how it went. So let's dive in. There were five debate topics. There were COVID-19, race relations, climate change, national security, and leadership. Those are the five topics that were covered uh, by moderator uh, Kristen Welker. 
it's not quite clear to me that those were the things that, well, it's not clear to me that those are the things that that the debate participants decided to to um, talk about. I mean, at the at the end of the day, they sort of did, but Trump kept changing the subject. So let's just I, I want to just start this off with the, the with the discussion about race race in America, and certainly their answers. While those might have been the categories, Trump I noticed kept changing the subject. So one of the questions. They talked about the crime bill and and what they would do. And and one of the things that I've noticed about Trump and most Republicans for that, well, I'd even say some Democrats too. But when they talk about race relations, what would you do for diverse communities or diverse constituencies or more specifically for African-Americans? They all seem to want to go to this, well, the crime rate and you know and certainly the crime rate and certainly you know uh people dying at the hands of the police and uh poverty those are things that yes those are part of the african-american community but they're also part of all communities so i for one am always taken aback when that's what i hear but trump went into this whole thing about you know like i said joe own the fact that the crime bill that he was a part of years ago, decades ago, in hindsight, at the time that seemed like the smart thing to do and, you know, but in hindsight, it's like, well, yeah, we shouldn't do that. So he owned that. And then when it came time for Trump to rebut, he decided he wanted to talk about all that he had done for African-Americans. You know, I, I gave money to HBCUs and I, uh, change the, you know, letting people out of jail. We have prison reform. Well, a handful of, you know, Chris Kim Kardashian's friends got, you know, released from jail. There were some things done, but the crime, the bill that he's talking about actually was co-written by Cory Booker. And uh, I want to say Chris Coons. I'm not positive of the Republican. It was bipartisan. Um, and that's great, but okay, it, it it happened during Trump's tenure, so okay, I'm going to let him have credit for that. But then he goes on to say that, you know, he's just done more for, for Blacks than anybody. Let's take a look at that moment when he decided that that was the, the pitch he wanted to make. Nobody has done more for the Black community than Donald Trump. And if you look... With the exception of Abraham Lincoln, possible exception, but the exception of Abraham Lincoln, nobody has done what I've done. <laughs> I was drinking my coffee. The clip wasn't, I didn't think the clip was quite done. Um, so what he said is, with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, he's done more for African-Americans than anyone in history. So first of all, Abraham Lincoln was a long time ago, first of all. Secondly, he says, with the possible exception. So in other words, that thing that he did, freeing the slaves, you know, maybe that was, maybe that was a better thing. I think what I've done is better than that. I think that I let out a handful of people from jail and that I gave HBCU some money and that I did these handful of things 
is really better than, you know, it, it, it's arguably, one could make the argument that it was more important for the African-Americans. He also discounts um, not only legislation that directly impacted African-Americans, like the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, you know, LBJ, you know, who, who cares about him? But the other things that are very, um, you know, that have helped all families and helped everybody rise up, at least to a middle class standard of living, would be FDR with his New Deal. And, you know, and, and uh, uh, Eisenhower, for that matter. But having a robust jobs program, having Social Security, having uh, disability insurance, having unemployment insurance, all of those things are the things that benefit African-Americans and all Americans across the board. And for Trump to suggest that this handful of things, that if you were to go out on the street and ask 100 Black people or 10 Black people, describe Trump's agenda for the African-American community, 10 of them would not be able to do so. You might get one on an off day who's just really into it who could, but otherwise they don't. So. I just, I, you know, what one of the things that I noticed, and I don't want this to be about bashing Trump, which is really why the guest that we we're supposed to have, the goal was for her to talk me off the off the ledge, because I do have uh, a bipartisan audience. I do have conservative people who listen to the show, who I talk to, who are some of my dearest friends, who I talk to during the week, and they have opinions, and 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 there are ways that. Trump benefits them, or the Trump presidency, or the Trump administration benefits them in their lives. So I don't want to discount them or that that perception that they have. Nevertheless, I'm very, it's frustrating that what I noticed was a series of, of every time Trump was asked a question, he would literally shift the conversation, he would say a bunch of nothing and then shift the conversation. And, you know, and he might introduce some whole new controversy in his effort to shift the conversation. One of those was the clip on, um, what, which was it? I want to say it was on uh, the family separations at the border. Let's take a look at that clip on the Trump, uh, the criminal family separations, where he just really tries to go down a whole new uh, path. What happened? Parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal. Well, that wasn't quite, that was the clip I was talking about. But I think we left off the, the early part. But Joe Biden is like, you know, for Trump to sit and talk about how, um, you know, we're gonna, that was the conversation about family separations at the border. And Trump doesn't wanna own that. He doesn't want to admit that it was his administration's policy 
to separate kids at the border. So he goes into this whole tangent about, well, who built the cages? You know, he's talking about putting babies in cages. He says, well, who built the cages? Obama built the cages. First of all, that's not quite accurate. Yes, during the Obama administration, they did build chain link fencing to separate the old children from the young children, the boys from the girls, males from females, and to keep them separate during the 72 hour period of time that they were in custody. But the idea certainly was to release them within 72 hours. And what they did not do was separate children. And they certainly didn't rip children out of the arms of their mothers as they were nursing them. That's a whole other thing. And so Trump changes the subject by then just saying, well, what about the, you built the cages? Well, even if Obama built cages, that doesn't mean that Trump needs to continue using the cages that Obama built. If you thought it was wrong or bad, then the, ideally you would stop building the cages or using the cages. So that was sort of the, the crux of how the debate went. It was a lot of Trump um, deflecting. He kept going back to Joe Biden as a criminal, the, the Biden crime family. And, and then he talked about these conspiracy theories. And we've talked a little bit about conspiracy theories on capital G in the past. But this whole notion of the conspiracy theories and these people are, um, uh, you know, Joe Biden has got millions of dollars from Russia and he got $3 million from Russia and millions from China and China, China, China. And, you know, and, and it's just, it's like, Biden's like, I've never gotten a penny from anybody. Well, Trump wants us to believe that Joe Biden, Joe Biden's brother and his son, Hunter Biden, you know, are out, you know, exporting foreign countries and getting money from them when we know for a fact that that's not what happened. There's been investigations, there have been reporting, there's been all kinds of things that help us know that that is not in fact what happened. Um, Trump talks about, there's a, uh, I think a clip that's called Trump Unifies Families. And that might be the, the clip. Um, let's take a look at that, the Trump Unifying Families clip and see where that takes us. And they come in through America. But how will you reunite these just kids you, with their families, let me just tell you, Mr. President? They built cages. You know, they used to say, I built the cages. And then they had a picture in a certain newspaper. And it was a picture of these horrible cages. And they said, look at these cages. President Trump built them. And then it was determined they were built in 2014. That was him. Do you they have a plan cages. to reunite the kids? Yes, we're working families? on it very, we're, we're trying very hard. But a lot of these kids come out without the parents. They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs. So that's, that was the clip that I meant to show a little earlier. He was asked, you know, what is your plan to reunite the family? So now that they've separated the families at the border, okay, fine. You separated the families. That was bad enough, but whatever. But now we've got 500, I think that 545, which probably should be our big number for the day. But we've got 500, and think about that for a moment. If you've got a child, and I know most of the people I know, not all, but most do have children. You got a niece, nephew, cousin, 
somebody, a friend with a child. Imagine, imagine you go on vacation to a foreign country. Let's just say you go down to Mexico. Let's say you go to Cabo and you take your kid and you guys are there and somehow, some way, you know, whatever, you get arrested. Maybe it's a case of mistaken identity. Maybe you're drunk at Cabo Wabo, or, you know, you're at uh, Squid Row, whooping it up on a tabletop, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing. You've got this, now you've got this whole, um, you, you with your kid and they're like, yeah, no, we got it. We're arresting you. And we're going to put, take your kid. We're going to take your kid and we're going to put your kid somewhere for safekeeping. And then when you get out of jail on Monday, once you've sobered up, and it's like, okay, well, where's my kid? Oh, well, we put the kid in a home. Well, where's the home? We don't know where the home. We don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, we, you know, we don't know. We, you know, we didn't track it. We put we put them on a bus and we sent them up to Sinaloa. We sent them to Extapa. We sent them to wherever it is. It's big ass country. Th that is not acceptable. And in our name for our nation, that should not be acceptable to us. And then what he did was he pivoted. He says, yeah, we're working on it very quick. We're working on it. We're working on a plan. We're working to get them back together. But then he goes in. But they built the cages. Ask who built the cages. It was in a newspaper. There was a picture. It was a picture of a cage. The question was, what are you doing, Mr. President, to resolve a problem? And time and again, he doesn't have a plan to resolve problems. As president, as the current president, as the incumbent, we have watched for four years him create problems or problems come to him, as they do, and they're not necessarily his fault, but he has made the problems worse time and again, not better. He doesn't have a plan for, he didn't talk about infrastructure and what he's gonna to do to build infrastructure, whether that's broadband or airports or highways and roadways, whether that's improving the, um, you know, we've got, we're on, I don't know the, the, the alphabet of the, the Greek alphabet, but we're up to Zeta. I don't know if Zeta is equal to Z or if Zeta is equal to G because I don't know the Greek alphabet. But we're up to Zeta in terms of the hurricanes percolating off the East Coast. So we've already gone through the alphabet, right? Each season, each hurricane season, as they name storms and hurricanes, they started A and then they named them through the end of the alphabet. We've exhausted the alphabet. And then they started on the Greek alphabet. So alpha, beta, delta, gamma, I don't know, but we're on Zeta. So again, I don't know if Zeta is, equal, is 26 or if Zeta is 10, I don't know where it is, but I know that that's more than we've ever done. I think last year we might've made it to, I don't know, T, P. Yeah, I don't even remember what we made it to last year, but you know, I mean, we had, you know, Maria, and I remember Maria, right? I remember some of the bigger ones, but this is insane. So we don't have a plan for the climate. He doesn't have a plan for the climate change. Joe Biden did his best to talk about what he was going to do and what he could do. He wasn't as bad as the first debate in terms of being talked over. 
um, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad in terms of content. And Trump is like, oh, there he goes again, Russia, 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 while he's sitting there talking about these conspiracy theories that nobody knows what he's talking about. You know, Joe Biden is the big man or somebody's the big man that's got to get paid. And, you know, you got to see Hunter Biden's email. It's like Hunter Biden is not running for president. And Hunter Biden's email is not, it is not nearly as important to me. Um, it isn't important to me at all. But it should, if it is important to you, it should not be nearly as important as what we're going to do about coronavirus, how we're going to get that 80,005 number to turn the other way. And at some point be five or 45 or 295, but 80,000 people testing positive. When we all want to get out, we do want to stimulate the economy. We do want to get out there. So this was the last chance they had to talk about what their agenda, their agendas are. And, um, and how they would approach it. So I'm going to show two final clips. The first one, and I'll come back after the first one. It is Trump's, uh, he had an opportunity, each of them had an opportunity to make their closing arguments. And presumably this would be uh, both of them saying, okay, here's who I am. This is what I've done. This is where we go in a new, you know, in my next administration or in my administration. And for uh, Kristen Welker, the question was, what would you say to people who didn't vote for you, right? So it's, a, an, a again, perhaps an opportunity to talk about unity. But let's see how Trump answers it. So this is Trump's closing argument. We have to make a country totally successful as it was prior to the plague coming in from China. Now we're rebuilding it and we're doing record numbers, 11.4 million jobs in a short period of time, et cetera. But I will tell you, go back. Before the plague came in, just before, I was getting calls from people that were not normally people that would call me. They wanted to get together. We had the best black unemployment numbers in the history of our country. Hispanic, women, Asian, People with diplomas, with no diplomas, MIT graduates, number one in the class, everybody had the best numbers. And you know what? The other side wanted to get together. They wanted to unify. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success. But I'm cutting taxes, and he wants to raise everybody's taxes, and he wants to put new regulations on everything. He will kill it. If he gets in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen. Your 401ks will go to hell, and it'll be a very, very sad day for this country. So, to be clear, earlier in the debate, Trump said, Joe Biden says, well, he doesn't take any responsibility because you remember a few months ago, Trump says, I take no responsibility. So in the debate, Trump said, I take full responsibility, referring to the coronavirus. He says, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault. That's the opposite of taking responsibility. If you've got little kids and they're like, I didn't do it, it's not my fault. Well, you did do it and it is your fault. Um, now, what you do about it or you know, how you how you make up for it or whatever is a different issue. But if you're going to take responsibility, own it and say, this is what I'm going to do to fix it. So here in his final closing moments where he had an opportunity to talk about what he was going to do to fix it, 
instead of doing so, he talked about, you know, well, I, you know, the blacks and, and Joe Biden and Joe's going to raise your taxes. And this is a whole, you know, it's going to be the whole country is going to go to crap and you shouldn't vote for me. You, I should be here. I should be the one because Joe is bad. And it was not a thoughtful, well-articulated plan laid out for, you know, to help people make up their mind about what they want for the country and who they want, um, who they want to be their next president. Now, Joe Biden also had the opportunity to say whatever his closing statement was. So let's listen to Joe Biden. I will say I'm an American president. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. And I'm going to make sure that you're represented. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities enormous opportunities to make things better. We can grow this economy. We can deal with the systemic racism. And at the same time, we can make sure that our economy is being run and moved and motivated by clean energy, creating millions of new jobs. And that's the fact. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to say, as I said at the beginning, what is on the ballot here is the character of this country, decency, honor, respect, treating people with dignity, making sure that everyone has an even chance. And I'm going to make sure you get that. You haven't been getting it the last four years. So I think it's a pretty clear path or a pretty clear distinction between the two candidates. One is sort of flailing. His campaign is imploding as the candidate himself, his family, his staff, and people around him are succumbing to the virus. There is no clear path forward in terms of the virus other than this vaccine that he claims is coming um, that you know we haven't seen. And there's, there's, it's just, it sounds like more of what we have had bickering and bitterness and blaming and 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 uh, denial and division and hatred and all of those things the other candidate joe biden has been very was very measured in his tone he talked about unifying the country regardless which one answered the question regardless of whether you voted for me or not I will be the president for all the people. It isn't somebody upset me, so I'm going to lash out at them. I'm going to send a bad tweet about them. I'm going to have investigations done about them. I'm going to try to have them locked up in jail. None of that. That is just not what we're hearing. And it is not what we have experienced from Joe over Mr. Biden, uh, Vice President Biden. I, I say Joe lovingly. Um, but that is not what our experience with him over the last 47 years has been. And there's no reason for us to believe that that's what we would get in a Joe Biden administration. It's more likely that we would get what we had gotten, uh, what we got from him while he was vice, uh, while he was vice president to President Obama. 
and which is at least a more measured, calm administration that puts people in places or in positions of power to actually do the jobs that they were hired to do. Now, do we want to have lower taxes or do we want to have uh, less regulation and do we want to have healthcare universally or whatever? Those are issues that we can debate. What we cannot debate is whether or not our democracy can stand withstand another four years of this kind of division and chaos. And uh, as Jeb Bush said four years ago, Trump is the chaos candidate and he would be the chaos president. Truer words were never said. So I wanna wrap up today with, um, with just some words of, of hope for those who are uh, uh, rooting for Joe Biden, who are voting for Joe Biden. Let me just say for people that are voting for Trump, Godspeed. Um, you know, it, he has had more than enough chances to pivot and we have not seen that come to fruition. As far as Joe Biden goes, countless, and this morning, the New Hampshire, I don't know the name of the, I think the, the I don't know the name of the newspaper um, off the top of my head, but the New Hampshire newspaper, which is conservative leaning, endorsed Joe Biden. And they basically said, yes, Trump has done a lot of stuff that we want, but we cannot as a nation continue on this path. And Joe Biden at least brings a level of calm and respectability back to the White House. And we need that desperately so that we can all move, move forward. So I thank you for listening to me today. Um, again, I will hope to get our guest on that we were anticipating in the next few days. And I really um, thank you for your support for listening to Capital G. Make sure to visit the Capital G website at capitalgpodcast.com. And thank you all for your time. Remember, this is Politics with Capital G. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Capital G. As always, you can find show and host information at capitalgpodcast.com and even more information and commentary on the Capital G blog, which you can also access through capitalgpodcast.com. If you liked what you heard, please share the show with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.